0: we are starting a new book series. Uh, we like to preach through, straight through a book of the Bible. Uh, and, and we typically find that's a, a great way to uh, allow God to speak to the church body is, is through an entire book. Uh, and so we're starting the book of Jonah. Uh, I would say most of you at least know the the story that was told in Sunday school. Uh, If you haven't heard this uh, book preached before, you probably at least know a little bit about Jonah. And we're going to spend the next month and a half or so uh, looking at the book of Jonah. And uh, as we were praying over this book this week, thinking about you guys, what's going on in in a lot of your lives, uh, and then how this book really relates to it, what we kept seeing over and over again is God's relentless love. How many of you would say you're relentless in anything, right? A hobby, a, a, a passion, or in your love, whether it's for your spouse or your kids or for God, Relentless, when I looked it up, uh, the the definition said constant, incessant, Uh, and I looked over at the synonyms and it said persistent, never-ending, unabated, unrelenting, sustained, and yet that's what we're going to see here in this book over this next month and a half or so is God's relentless love for people. So no matter what you come in to uh, this church today, whatever baggage you might have, whatever thoughts you might have about God and how they've been formed in your mind over all the years and church experiences and conversations uh, at seasons of lives and struggles, I want to tell you today that God loves you and he's relentless in his love for you. And, and if you choose to kind of ignore that or walk away from it, he's going to stay relentless. He's persistent. And he's going to keep coming after you because he loves you so much. And I like this idea. I hope you're sitting out there today and you can say too, I like this idea that God loves me so much. Not based on my worthiness, right? It's not because Mark Miller's done anything incredible, but because God chose to love us. And he showed us that by sending Jesus Christ to this earth to die for us. So it's pretty awesome, if you think about it, that the creator God loves you so much. So we're entering into this new book of the Bible today, and we're going to hope as a church body, all of us, to see the heart of God through this book because really it's when we see the heart of god we are changed as people no matter what's going on in our lives what our baggage is uh what what eh, what might be going on that the world is heaping on us god's heart and understanding his heart can change it in our lives my goal for my life is that i will reflect the heart of god i want to see the heart of god Uh, and in humility be humble enough to to change the areas that I need to change so that I'm a reflection of God. As Christians, we may talk a big game about evangelism, telling others about God, and and, and we may talk a big game about reaching our community, but do we actually play a big game in this regard? We're getting started into that football season. I I bet a lot of you watched some college football yesterday. Anybody out there? Right? We got NFL starting in about a week. This Friday, Stilcombe High School's first football game up at Lake Washington. And and I've been coaching now. I've had the opportunity to coach high school for the last nine years at Stilcombe High School, one of the assistant coaches there. And we have boys who talk a big game. And in years past, we've had boys who have talked a big game and then haven't been able to play the big game, right? Now, we're really excited this year. Uh, The boys are talking a big game uh, and, and people who are writing about us are talking a big game. And so we hope by the end of the season in 14 weeks that we will have played those big games and that, that all the hype about us will be true. But what we're doing, what I want to challenge you today is as Christians, we talk about reaching our community, we talk about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people, but are we really doing it? Or are we just merely talking about it? Do we play the big game that we talk about in evangelism and reaching our community. I think think the book of Jonah is going to challenge our hearts. Do we really love the lost? If you've been saved by Jesus Christ, if you place your faith in the blood that was shed on Calvary and you call yourself a Christian, do you truly have a heart for those that don't know Jesus yet? Do you love the lost? Or are we... Kind of like the reluctant prophet Jonah, right? We know that he runs. I mean, I'm not spoiling anything. If you even heard the name Jonah before, uh, you know that he, he ran from God's uh, call on his life, right? But the relentless love of our heavenly father went after Jonah, and he goes after you, and he loved the Ninevites, and I'm hoping that that same relentless love of our Heavenly Father will inspire us to have a relentless love for those in our lives, whether it's family members who don't know Jesus yet or, or our neighbors or our, our uh, coworkers or the other students in your class. I mean, we just started school this week. If you're in the Stilcombe School District, you've already been in for a couple of days. Do you love your classmates enough to share About Jesus, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ with them. We want to have that relentless love for those around us that are perishing. And what I want to challenge you today is it's time to get up and go. Today we're going to examine the first two verses only of Jonah, but we're also going to give a bit of history. About this story. It'll inform kind of the understanding of the entire book. So, if you have your Bibles with you, I would want to invite you to open up to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible and you would like one, back on our grab a Bible table, we have some copies of God's Word. You're welcome to use one of those during this hour and and actually take it with you. If you need a Bible, make that your own because we think it's really important for everybody to have God's Word. And so we want to invite you to do that. We'll be looking at these two verses, then we'll be looking at some of the history, uh, and then the call on Jonah's life. Jonah 1, verses 1 and 2. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Many books of the prophet begin this way, in a a similar fashion here. A a prophet in the Old Testament is one who received a special revelation from God, and and then it was the job of the prophet to communicate that to the people. Now, typically the message that was given to a prophet, uh, especially the ones who were written about here in the Bible, their stories are told, uh, were God's message to God's chosen people, the children of Israel. That's typically what we see for the prophets in the Old Testament in the Bible. Which brings us to the first unique thing about the book of Jonah. His message was for a pagan city and a pagan nation. We're gonna talk more about that pagan nation in a minute. But Jonah is, is one of the books we call the minor prophets in the Old Testament. If you grew up in Sunday school like I did, you learned the Old Testament books and they would break it down, the major prophets and then the minor prophets. The minor prophets are called minor prophets not because their uh, material has any less value, it's just their shorter books. So you got major prophets lot bigger books, minor prophets are a little bit shorter. That's why we're going to be able to get through a minor prophet in a month and a half. Whereas if we took like an Isaiah, we would be doing it for a year and a half. And so we're going to go through Jonah here, looking at this minor prophet and what he was called to do. Jonah was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam the I. Uh, and, and he was one of Israel's worst kings. The timing is somewhere around... 786 to 746 BC. Now, the the story of Jonah is fairly widely known, um, and and, and I, I mentioned that a little bit earlier. However, there are a couple of things that we should know as we begin this study, as we look through uh, this story. Um, that the Sunday school version that a lot of us have heard, it, it's a little bit nicer. Than the actual truth of this story. It, 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 this story is much more PG-13 or even R-rated. Than the version that you might remember. Uh, there, are, there are some uh, people uh, who, who actually, this is kind of my second point here. There are some people who will come out and say that they, they doubt the legitimacy of the events of this story. Um, they would prefer to look at, uh, at this story as an allegory. Uh, instead of believing that there was a man named Jonah and that he was swallowed by a fish and that three days later he was spit up onto a shore. Now, we personally, at least the pastors of the Grace Works, unanimously disagree with this theory. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't gather in Jesus' name if you do disagree with us, but we disagree with it. And so we wanted to start out there Talking about uh, there being a couple of very compelling reasons to believe that this story actually happened—it's fact and not Uh, fiction—and the first reason is the place. The start of verse two there it says, "Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city." Now, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was a real place. It was built early on in Genesis chapter 10. Uh, records that Nimrod, who was a great hunter, built this city. Obviously, it started as a smaller version uh, than, its, than its centuries older version that we're going to encounter here in the story of Jonah. So it started out small, but it continued to, it continued to grow. And, and when Jonah went to Nineveh, It was the capital city of a very vast empire. Nimrod, at least in the world's eyes, did very well. He picked a good spot. He he started a city, and that empire continued to grow. Nineveh was located in what is now modern-day Iraq, right near the modern-day city of Mosul, right? There, There is a good amount known about the actual city of Nineveh, though, from archaeological digs. But uh, one of the most important things to note, that it was the seat of the Assyrian Empire. An empire, well, having its ups and its downs, it lasted almost 2,000 years, right? So Nineveh was a city, Nineveh was well known, uh, and, and Nineveh was an important place in the Assyrian Empire, Now, Nineveh was ultimately destroyed about 150 years after Jonah preached to the city. So there's going to be some repentance, and we're going to celebrate that. But it was relatively short-lived because they continued to attack Israel. They continued to attack Judah, God's chosen people. And so ultimately the city ended up being destroyed. But that, again, I'm giving you a little preview of the end of this story. Now we can see from history uh, that Nineveh was a real place. In fact, there's a, a, a pretty cool thing. Uh, there's a shrine to Jonah that exists still to this day. Um, there's, there's some contemporary evidence that Jonah's uh, life was a reality, that this did happen. Um, and so there's a, this shrine that's there. It used to be a church that actually stood in the same uh, place there. Uh, there seem to be a couple of places where where Jonah uh, that claimed to be the birthplace of Jonah. Uh, one one uh, uh, in those those places would claim his uh, life as as theirs in that city. So again, pointing to a real Jonah, there actually is a couple places uh, that claim to be the place where Jonah was buried. Uh, one of them was back in that hometown I was just talking about. The other one is actually here uh, at the same location as the shrine. Now, I'm not saying this is the best evidence uh, for Jonah being real uh, and not just a story. But, you know, I mean, how many times are there shrines like this built for a story, right, that that, that doesn't you know, really exist? So, again, there's an acceptance of this as being a, a, a real person and a real story. Even in light of this uh, evidence, though, the most compelling pieces of evidence for us as pastors are found in Scripture itself. So we're going to bounce through a few of these. I'll have the words up here on the screen, but if you want to uh, write them down so you can look at them later or even turn to them in your own Bible, that would be great. But in Second in, in Kings 14, so another Old Testament book, we read this. In the 15th year, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he, made, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo-Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke to his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet. First and second kings, if you've read through the Bible before, are in the Old Testament, uh, and they're books of history. They don't record fictional characters. So we see this passage here referring to Jonah, again, as a real human being. We see here that Jeroboam was an evil king. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, uh, that he restored a border. The prophet Amos would would receive a word from the Lord later, and all those lands would be taken back from Jeroboam for his sin. That's just a little background for this story here. Um, But we see Jonah as part of this historical moment that was recorded in 2 Kings. But that's not even the most convincing biblical support for the legitimacy of this story. When we read in Luke, uh, we, 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 we read Verses thirty or twenty nine and thirty of chapter eleven, it says, When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except for the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah came or became a sign for the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man to his generation. The generation Jesus was ministering to wanted signs. And so here we see Jesus talking about that saying, I am the one they should be looking to, right? Just like in the day when Jonah brought the good news to the Ninevites, they needed to listen to the message. Jonah was the sign. And in the same way, I have come to be that sign. They wanted a a messiah, for their Savior. Uh, They wanted an anointed one to come to Israel and restore an earthly kingdom with military power and a political victory. And yet Jesus didn't come in that way. The people wanted something different. Jesus came preaching against wickedness and calling for repentance of the heart. Very similar to what Jonah will do. It would be more of a spiritual victory, allow people to to know about the true God, just like Noah or Jonah was bringing to Nineveh. Matthew records a longer version of this same statement. I'm going to read it also, Matthew 12, verses 38 to 42. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear from the wisdom of Of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So again, we see Jesus' word pointing to himself as the answer, what they needed, but he's comparing that to the life of Jonah bringing the good news, the life of Solomon bringing the good news to the queen of the south. Jesus knew that even though he preached repentance, that this generation 2,000 years ago that ultimately crucified him would not repent and turn to the one true God. He says that the men of Nineveh will will stand up at the judgment and condemn them. For even though they were Gentiles, those in Nineveh, they did repent of their ways when Jonah preached God's impending judgment and desire for them to repent. And they only had Jonah, this incredibly stubborn and and reluctant prophet. The Jews of Matthew 12 had Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe and the creator of all, and yet they refused to believe him. They refused to repent and turn from their ways. Verse 42 there, uh, we we read, it gets a little bit away from Jonah there. But the reason being was these other examples that Jesus used were also real people. And those who would have been hearing his words would have known that, right? We have uh, the queen of the south and the story of this queen coming up and coming and speaking to Solomon. Again, Solomon being one of the kings, a, a historical figure. Someone that the the people who heard this at that time would have said, yeah, we know that. This is a a real person. Likewise, Nineveh was a real city, and Jesus brings Jonah into the same conversation here. Right? Nothing here to indicate that this was just a fable. Uh, This was just something that was written. That this was a true story. It wasn't something just made up as an allegory. So hopefully today, if you had any doubts, maybe we've convinced you that that Jonah wasn't a parable, wasn't an allegory, wasn't a fable, that he truly lived, and the events of this story that we'll be studying are miraculous and real. Because let's be honest, the the hardest thing to believe in the Bible uh, isn't necessarily that a man was swallowed by a fish and survived for three days. If we're honest with ourselves, one of the hardest things to truly believe and understand is that the God of the universe loved you and I so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ to die for us. I do believe that, that there's a deeper level in which we can learn from this story when we truly believe that these facts of this story are real, to understand that Jonah was a real guy, and that he struggled with things, and that his struggles are, are just like the struggles that you and I might have, we might be going through, and hopefully to move past those struggles, you and I, so that God can use us to bring people into his kingdom, amen. So Jonah the prophet uh, here in this story, getting back to verse 1 and 2, he's called to get up and to go, right? God's sending him to Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, and he's supposed to call out against it. As you probably know, again, we're not going to get to there today in in the story, but Jonah struggled with this command, right? He didn't want to do this. This isn't where he wanted to be. And if we're honest, I think a lot of times you and I struggle as well, right? We are called by God to get up and go and tell people about Jesus Christ. To bring people a a solution to their problems. Sin, separation, rebellion. To tell the good news. Of Jesus Christ. Now one of the reasons we may struggle to do this ourselves is the images that might come to mind when you think about people who sometimes go out and like to tell the world how sinful they really are. Those are the people who've given a black eye to the church. They don't do this in love. And it's not hard to understand why so many detest Christians and the church with organizations such as this in our own country. But we mustn't allow poor examples such as this to scare us away from the call that we have from God. The truth is, uh, we we live in a post-Christian era. We're into a kind of a new time, I believe. Gone are the days when church was something that everyone did. When my grandpa was a pastor years and years and years ago, it seemed like everybody went to church. No matter how involved you were or not, it was like accepted. You just went to church. Gone are the days when the Bible was admired and respected even among the general population, at least of the United States. That there was good in it and there were good virtuous things that we were called to do. And even if you weren't a Christian, you at least could say, yeah, I I agree with those things. Gone are the days when the name of God was revered in our country. Truth be told, you probably hear God's name in vain during the week more than you hear the name of God spoken in a positive where someone's encouraging you with their story where someone's encouraging you with what God has done in their lives. What is the proper response to those truths? Uh, is it hated or is it hatred? The truths that, that there is sin and there is rebellion and we are called to repent or to turn away from those things. When we think about that, right? It should be given in love, and yet instead, sometimes it's given in hatred or as a message of doom. And yet we are called in love to bring people the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. Because of people like this, or even maybe the way we've responded in the past, should we just throw our hands up in the air and give up? Or is there a way to do it in love that is far more powerful? We are called to get up and go. We are called to preach the good news, right? It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Salvation for all of those who are perishing. We're called to love our neighbors relentlessly and to pursue them relentlessly with the love of Jesus Why? Well, the reason Jonah is sent is because their evil has come up before me. Now, this is an interesting phrase, but it's one that is familiar uh, if one is well-read in the scriptures. We've seen this other places. The, The sin of Nineveh had become a stench in the nostrils of God. The city was so wicked that it was like God finally had reached his tipping point. And the only thing left for him to do was to judge them. They continued to attack his people and kill his people. We've seen this before. Consider the great flood in Genesis 6. God didn't just destroy the world because of man's rebellion and sin. No, he didn't just just, just destroy them, right? He preached the good news. And when, when they refused to, the tipping point was the flood. The same with Sodom and Gomorrah. And there are several passages that point to times in human history like this, as were the the time here with Nineveh. But God is patient as well. God is slow to anger. Nehemiah 9, 17, it says, they refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But you are a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. In Psalm 86, 15, it says, but you, O Lord, are a God of mercy and gracious. You're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. There are countless scriptures that talk about God's patience. And his patience is tied to his heart, his heart for all mankind. Romans 2, 4 says, Or do you presume or presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? 2 Peter 3, 9 and 15 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And doesn't the patience of God give you hope? When that sin that you've struggled with for so many years comes up again and trips you up? Maybe when your children aren't following God as they should? We can see here that God is patient and he wishes that none would perish and that each one would come back to him. Even though the, the, the sin of Nineveh had reached to the tipping point, God still wanted to give them a chance to repent. And even though the sin of our current generation is, is grievous to God, He still wants this generation to repent. Do you believe that? Are you ready to be used? Are you ready to answer the call to get up and go? One final note, kind of with the history of Nineveh. It was a horrible city, a violent empire, a wicked people. And again, the story here, we have to remember that Jonah knew what would happen if he were to go there and preach this sort of message. Without God's hand intervening, it would not end well for him. We know from many, many texts and extra-biblical sources that they were a violent people. Violence wasn't the only sin that the empire was known for either, uh, there was a lot of perversions and idolatry. The sin of every kind was normative; they were commonplace. The book of Nahum, another one of the books in the Bible, here written by one of the prophets, calls out about or calls out against this evil culture as well. And Jonah was supposed to go there and tell them that God was going to judge them unless they repent. This was a city and a a people that wouldn't want to hear this, right? They didn't want to hear what Jonah had to say. In fact, he could expect opposition, defiance, indignation, and most likely that violent response. It's not hard to see the comparisons to today. We're called to a culture that is violently opposed to Jesus, We're called to a culture where idolatry and and sexual sin is the normative. We're called to a people who will most likely reply to our message with opposition, defiance, indignation, and quite possibly violent responses just like Jonah. And yet we're called to believe that the power of God and and the power of his gospel, right, is, is so powerful that we can't. Not share it. We're called to obey. God was going to destroy this city, Nineveh, and yet He gives them a heads up. He gives them time to repent because no one is beyond the love of God. Do we believe that today, church? That no one is beyond the love of God. His desires that all would believe in His Son and be saved from their sins. Is there someone in your life that you've begun to think about that maybe you would, would have thought might have been beyond the reach of God? No, God could never change this person's life. I want you to ask God today to start changing your heart towards that person. Increase your faith that even they could be saved. So who is that person in your life? Ask God to change your heart towards them. Jonah received the word of the Lord It was quite possibly an an audible call to this prophet We don't know for sure And in some ways I think it would be easier If I could just hear the voice of God I mean that would clear up You know any confusion about what I was supposed to do I would know for sure I'm sure that I I would just get up and go If I heard God's voice right If God spoke to me out loud How many of you, don't raise your hand, have thought that before? If God would just speak to me, if I could see this sign, I would know for sure and I would do it. And yet, we have the Bible. We have God's word. We say we believe it. And in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make Disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a call to me to get up and go. That sounds like a call to you to get up and go. Jesus Christ's last words on this earth were to go and tell the good news, to make disciples. Because of the relentless love of our Father, Jesus came. And after he had conquered sin and conquered death, he gave us power. He gave us power, power to get up and go. And behold, he is with us always. He is with you. He is with I in those tough conversations to the end of the age. Let's pray.